Welcome warriors. In this week's episode, I was blessed to speak with Dr. Karen Silva. We planned in advance to make this a two-part series. So this is part one. Dr. Silva was born in South Africa and lived under the apartheid system. She shares a little bit about what that was and how it impacted her life growing up. Grab a tissue. We're talking about keeping people apart or separate based on the color of their skin and the injustices that permeated the country as well as Dr. Karen's family. Let's rock it. Does your past haunt you? Maybe you're in a storm that feels like it will never end. Are you fighting a battle that's rendering you hopeless? Maybe you feel like you're fighting alone, but your battle was not meant to be a solo endeavor. You were meant to be a warrior among warriors. My name is Heather, and I grew up thinking my battles were nobody's business until I found myself in an abusive marriage and felt cut off from all avenues of help. In this podcast, you will hear warriors' words. They will tell you of their battles, both won and lost, their journeys, and their lessons learned along the way. But we don't stop there. These warriors will share how they have applied those lessons to go from warrior to survivor to thriver. Whether it's an abusive marriage, illness, mental health crisis, or any number of traumas this world dishes out, these warriors will use their words to help you find the beauty in your broken, move beyond your battles, and become the thriver God created you to be. Pick up your sword or boxing gloves and join the battle. Your words are powerful, my friends. Make them warrior words. Welcome back to the Warrior Words Podcast. Today, we are talking about what happens when people human beings created by God are judged, bullied, and ruled based solely on on skin color. Our guest is Dr. Karen Silva, who lived in South Africa under the apartheid system until her early 20s. Dr. Karen Silva is a Catholic mindset coach, speaker, author, and podcaster. She offers general life coaching to women who have experienced complex trauma, helping them to interrogate negative thoughts and false beliefs they hold about themselves and create new, honest, and authentic perspectives that serve them well. A South African native, Karen's rich cultural, educational, and historical context lays the foundation for someone who thrives in service to others. Karen is an empty nester, entrepreneur, mom to adult children, and wife of 30 plus years. This is a fantastic conversation. But before we get into it, let me read one of your incredible reviews. This one is from TEDxMK. Real and moving. Thank you for your honesty and courage. Thank you, TEDxMK. Would you like me to read one of your reviews on an upcoming episode? Please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Your comments and star ratings help people find the Warrior Words podcast. It only takes a few minutes of your time, and it would help so much. Thank you. All right. As you heard in our intro, it's my pleasure to have Dr. Karen Silva with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Karen. Thank you. Okay, so let's let's just jump right in because you have a fascinating story, and um, oh, and for our listeners, we are going to do this in two parts. So this is part one, and 
So I was wondering, before you immigrated uh, to the United States, you lived in South Africa and, and you lived under the apartheid system, which led to multiple traumas um, in your young life. So if you could share a little bit about your story, um, living living under that system. And, and actually, maybe um, first, we probably have some listeners who maybe are younger than us, um, and maybe they don't know what the apartheid system is. And so could you maybe give us a brief explanation of that first? Yes, I can begin with that. So apartheid, as the word indicates, the first part of the word is apart, apart, and hate. So the condition of being apart. So it was a system that was set up to divide the races according to skin color. And depending on your skin color, you were afforded certain rights and laws were passed to divide us in terms of where we would live and who we would marry and where we would go to church and who we would go to school with. So the entire system was designed to keep people of different colors apart from each other. So myself, I am a person of mixed race and my racial designation designation was a colored. So in South Africa, people with brown skin like myself was not considered black. The native African peoples with the darker skin tones and who spoke the native languages, they were considered black. And so you had the blacks who were the majority of the country um, on the lowest rung of that ladder. And then us as mixed race people, the colored people. And you also had the Indians who came from, who were brought there from India to work on the sugar plantations. And then above them, you had the European whites or the whites that came from Europe. And they were also mixed in with the Afrikaner whites who spoke Afrikaans and who were basically the originators of the apartheid system. So when the country, before 1948, everyone could live together. There was no segregation. And then when the National Party took over in 1948, they came into power and they instituted this system of apartheid. And they started passing laws. It was done with, with the law. It was basically, Every law that they passed divided the country more and more and more. So their philosophy was to rule by uh, dividing and conquering people. And unfortunately, it's the smaller, the minority that, that decided that they were going to rule the Correct. majority. Correct. So 5% of the country ended up ruling 95% of the country. And they also had control, of course, of the military. And so they could do that and not use force to the extent that there was civil war, but there was force. I, I, I always like to say that it was a, a war that took place over many years, but it was still a war. It yeah, just was think. not your conventional war, right? Because we had resistance and it, it happened over a very long period of time from 1948 till 1994. 
That's a long time. It's a long. That is a that is a long. That is a long. And and I myself actually never got to see that because I left South Africa in 1990. Well, you did experience quite a bit of trauma though as a result of growing up in your younger years. So can you tell us a little bit about how that system directly impacted you and your and your childhood? Yes. So I come from um, quite a large family. I was born into a family where my mom and my dad, I was conceived out of wedlock. My mom and my dad lived with their family, my dad's family in a small town, and they, neither one had a job. And under that system, you could only work certain jobs based on your skin color. So that makes a lot of sense, right? That there wouldn't be a lot of employment for certain people. And so they neither one had a job. And then when I was born, my grand, my, my step-grandfather basically said he's not feeding another mouth. And so my parents gave me up to my grandmother. Now, my grandmother's story is one that was definitely a reflection of what happened under the apartheid system that completely tore families apart. I ended up with them in a township, a colored township. If you can picture sort of a ghetto that was created by the government where they would internally displace people, we used to call them forced removals from where they used to live because that area was declared white. So if you think about uh, what happened in Germany during the or right before the Holocaust, where they would just come in and they would remove the Jews from where they lived and put them in ghettos. Pretty much the same thing happened under the apartheid system in South Africa, where my, my grandmother and her husband and their children, they actually owned property and lived quite well. My, my grandfather was a councilman. He was in, into politics. They were a, a mixed race couple. And uh, the government declared that area white, just right under Table Mountain there in Claremont. If anyone wants to look that up where Claremont is on Google Earth, you'll see that it is quite beautiful. It's near the ocean. And they declared, the government declared that area white. And so they were forced removed from that area to another area called Paro, which is a little bit more in the interior of the country, but still in the suburbs of Cape Town. And after a number of years, not long after that, the government then declared that area white and the family had to split up. So some of them were moved to different townships. So my uncles and aunts and cousins had to basically leave their family and go and live a long ways away from where their workplaces were. And the family itself was split apart. And then we all ended up in a duplex, uh, two bedroom, very small duplex with running water, but no electricity in Bishop Levis town, which is a, a colored township. And so that's where I ended up with my grandmother, who was 67 at the time, had already raised her own children. Uh, 12 of them were for her own birth children, and then she had taken in a couple more. And then she also 
raised some of my cousins. So by the time I arrived, I was number 19. Wow. <laughs> yes. And with us in that same home, with me, where were uh, seven other people. So two very small rooms and very crowded. And so you can imagine um, the difficulty of just going from having property and then being forced removes and having to sell off your belongings mm -hmm. because there's no place to put them. And, and then having to travel for work long distances and so that's just the the context that I arrive in. And then in my home, uh, I had two uncles and two cousins and a female cousin and myself and her child and my grandmother. And my youngest uncle was an alcoholic. Two uncles were alcoholics and one was very violent and he was the one who sexually assaulted me at a at a very young age. I um I have very vivid memories of the experience. I try not to tell the details of it because I don't want to cause right. secondary trauma to people who are listening or watching. But all I can say is that I was still uh, clutching a bottle. I was still drinking from a bottle when it happened. And this particular person was a young man, uh, very strong. But if you can imagine, he was only a toddler when all of those things, he was he was not very old when apartheid started um, tearing the family apart. So by the time he was a teenager, you know, um, things were rough. Things were rough for them. And so this is the person who molested me. And then um, not long after that, and as with trauma memories, we they're not linear, right? Right, right. Trauma memories are not linear, but I have a complete memory of my grandmother setting fire to him. And that, I would say, is my primary trauma, not necessarily the the sexual assault, but what happened after and the not knowing that not having the safety and not knowing who I can trust, right? Because now the person who is who I trust the most and who I love the most, I witness this person do something like that. And, and I know that that this is hard to hear. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I just can't go around like I have no, a hard it's... time telling this story because I don't want to cause harm, but it is the truth. Right. And you're we have to get I, I think our, our words, this is this is why it's called warrior words. Our words have power. Yes. And and I know you talk a lot about forgiveness and we'll get to that. But yes, it, it's it's freeing and like I, I heard in one of your episodes if you can get to the point where you can even though it's difficult where you could talk about it then that forgiveness and that healing have started and I don't think we can start that without being able to verbalize and acknowledge yes what happened to us yes and it's a very it, it was of course devastating for me going through that and then 
being left in that environment for a long time because my parents were trying their best to get on their feet. They did eventually both get jobs and they found a place to live for a while. They lived in just one room in someone else's house. And then they did finally secure uh, three rooms in a in someone else's home, a home that was shared by two other families. And they did come to, to take me back, but I stayed in that home for till I was almost eight. And weekends were just really rough, really rough, you know, when the drinking would normally be a start Friday nights and it would continue on until Sundays. And there would be a lot of um, fighting and I witnessed a stabbing and windows would be broken and furniture would be broken. And, um, you know, just being a witness and and being held and sometimes screaming and sometimes going inside and and just going silent um as a child our brains are so beautiful you know god designed us with such beautiful brains because they protect us and that's how i managed to go through those seven years sometimes my aunt would take us and we would get on the bus and go spend a weekend with my other aunt, who wasn't too far away. Uh, sometimes uh, we would just go places, like go to the beach for the day. So it wasn't all trauma. That's what I want people to understand is that trauma tends to deceive us into thinking that it was all trauma, right? Yeah. yeah. I have a lot of really, really, really good memories interspersed with the, the trauma. So for me, that, you know, it was it wasn't just I had that one person in my life, my other uncle, who I call my drunk uncle, who, when I was three months old, was in a horrible accident. And my he and my mother's other brother, my other uncle, the other uncle died. And my uncle, Isaac, he was my primary caregiver after my grandmother. He was disabled. And so he was the one who would get me up in the morning, who would bathe me, who would dress me. He read to me. He uh, taught me how to write. He sang to me. He made toys for me. We spent our days together. We had a pattern. But he was also an alcoholic, a fall down drunk alcoholic, but not violent. And with him, um, what was beautiful was I actually started learning to speak English with him because my primary language is not English. It's Afrikaans. And he would read to me from he, he was a voracious reader and he would read to me from whatever he was reading out loud. So I had this one adult in my life, and we know that if you just have that one adult in your life and you have a lot of trauma, that actually works in your favor. So I was lucky yeah. to have this man who was completely broken, who was an alcoholic, who had epilepsy. That was one of uh, another trauma that I experienced is to watch him have epileptic, epileptic seizures and then having to run and grab an onion, I'm age four years old, five years old, six years old, 
run and grab an onion and grab a knife and cut open the onion because there's nobody else home, just my grandmother and me and him. And he's on the floor convulsing. And the remedy back then was you go grab an onion, you cut it open and you hold it in front of their nose and you hold their hands back so they can't, you know, hurt and hurt themselves and you position them so they can't choke. I learned those things from, you know, way before I was seven years old, I learned how to, how to handle an epileptic seizure. And, and now I know, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's not all bad. No, it's not 100% bad. And I think what trauma wants to do with us is to deceive us into thinking that 100% of it was bad. Absolutely. And, you know, and and in that you, you've actually answered a couple of my, um, a couple of my other questions. And, and one of them that I that I talk a lot about is is finding beauty in your broken and because I think so many people do have that perception that when you are going through trauma, it is all bad. And I think that we need to reframe that and and find those moments of beauty and find, you know, you learned this lesson of how to care for somebody who cared for you. And you yes. you learned how to read and you learned how to write. I mean, learned how to speak a, a completely different language. And uh, so there were there were bright spots. Yes. In there, interspersed. Yes. I do want to say, though, I did live there for a long time. I lived in the it was all bad. For a very long time, for at least I would say coming to the U.S., you know, for quite a while as I was going through my initial recovery a good 10, 12 years or so, that lens of looking back, it was, it did feel like it was all bad. But I think in hindsight, you, you start, as you heal, you start seeing it wasn't all bad. It was bad, but I think also because we had that, the the context within which we were living there is such uh, a connection among people in that survival of the political terror that even your enemy is your friend because you can't afford to have enemies within your community because the, the enemy that you're really fighting is that enemy that's denying you your humanity. Uh, that, is, that is profound, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, I think back to um, because my my significant trauma that I've shared so far is is the domestic abuse and and when I came out of it and while I was living in it, that's it. It was it was all bad. It was all bad. And then now I can look back and I can remember moments. There there were moments where he was really good with the kids. And there were moments that were bright and it wasn't, it wasn't all bad. And to, to stay there would be devastating to everybody, myself, him, the kids. And it, you know, and it's not accurate. It's not living. It's not living the life that God wants us to live. Yeah. Honest and being honest. Yes. Yeah. That honesty comes at a price because we have to let go of the person who we became when we identified solely with the trauma. Yeah. And holding on to that identity gives us our strength, I think. 
Yeah, it's it's scary. It's scary because that's that's who we have convinced ourselves that we are and that we've become. And it's not real. I mean, it's real when you're in it, but it's not entire. I guess that's what 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 I mean. It's like that's not it's truth, but it's not the whole truth. Yeah. That's not who you are. You are not yeah. your trauma. Yes. 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 Well, was there anything else that you that you wanted to to share about that time or or maybe we could um, go into some of the other maybe lessons you, you've shared a couple things that you were able to learn as a result. But are, are there any lessons that you, you took from that time that you are now able to incorporate um, today? Yes, I think. That early childhood time, I didn't talk much about, you know, going and living with my parents and being with a family of four or initially three children. And then my baby sister was born later. So, you know, just still being under the apartheid system, um, I guess I want to talk a little bit more about then being the, the oldest of four, but not quite because my parents did have two children shortly after I was born. And so my middle sister became the oldest and then I came and now all of a sudden I was the oldest. And so that created a dynamic that was really difficult for, for us kids to, to navigate, I think. Um, and then my parents were both factory workers. So they would leave pretty early in the morning and come back in the evening. And so taking on that role of caretaker of my younger siblings at a young age uh, was also something that happened because there was no other choice, right? Um, and I had to learn how to be a parent at a very young age. And that meant, you know, hand washing the family's clothes and cooking the family's meals, in addition to going to school and taking care of my, my studies and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And my parents wanted what was best for us and not to repeat their story. And so they were pretty strict. They were pretty strict. It wasn't, you didn't ever talk back because you would get it. And I think you understand what I mean by you would get it. Yes. Yes. Um, it could be, you know, just verbally, but a lot of the times it was physical. And so there's that element too. And it was all of us. There wasn't, there wasn't like this one doesn't get as many as the other one. And so I learned actually to go inwards and to be extremely obedient and pleasing so people pleasing was a huge survival skill that I learned. Um, and each of us siblings kind of dealt with it in a different way. So you have, you know, this, this dynamic of oppression of the adults in the country. And I always used to say, it has to go somewhere. When adults are being treated like children and all their rights are taken away, where do they take their frustration, right? So we're the next in line. I don't hold it against them. We're human. So the lessons that I've taken from this is we do what we need to do to survive. 
And for me, it was keep your head down, do what you're expected to do, and do it well to the point where you are faultless. And I did. I just did what I needed to do. I did it well to the point where I was almost faultless. And I survived. And that's how I, and I, I decided very, very early on that education was the key. And my parents, both of them, emphasized education. We were not allowed to read, you know, magazines from outside, like, you know, the magazines you buy off the shelf. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were not allowed. We were only allowed to read library books. We did not have a TV. Of course, TV didn't come to South Africa till the 80s. We didn't have TV. And then when we did have one, we didn't get to watch a whole lot of TV because we didn't have electricity. So the TV ran on a car battery and that was flat half the time. So oh. <laughs> that kind of saved us. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had to be in the home, in the house when, when my dad got home at five, everybody had to be in the house. And we had candlelight and lamplight and we had to sat, sit at the kitchen table and do homework and my parents checked. And they were very, very diligent in making sure that we did our work. And um, very strict about that. And we were not really allowed to, to venture too far in terms of, you know, staying out with friends. And so, so in our, our home was run very differently from other people's homes in that our parents had goals for us. So I learned that if I worked hard and if I focused that I could have that dream of someday getting an education and leaving the country. And that was my dream. How did, well, you know what, let's, let's save that for part two. Okay. <laughs> we'll save that for part two. It's a lot. <laughs> um, it, it is. And, and, and I, and I think it's, it's just, it's such a good story. And like I mentioned before, your words are powerful and we need, we need other people to hear your voice and other strong voices of people who have survived and gone on to learn learn lessons. Um, so, do you have any 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 parting words for this for this episode uh, that you'd like to share? Wow, um, you know, I'm a woman of faith, and I was from the beginning. My grandmother was a very strong woman of faith, and I know that. God doesn't allow these things to happen for no reason. Mm -hmm. And that we can take whatever we go through and use it to help other people. Amen to that. To exactly. make the world a better place. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So if somebody wants to get to know you a little bit better and maybe work with you, uh, where can they go to find you? Yeah, they can go to my website at www.drkaron, that's D-R-C-A-R-R-O-N.com. Okay, and if I remember correctly, you sent a link for um, a freebie. Do you want to tell everybody what that is? And I will yeah, put it in the show notes. It's, it's just a, a chapter to my book. I, I self-published a book on Amazon in 2021. It's called With You Always, A Journey with Jesus. So it's a free chapter from that book i will make sure that that link is in the show notes for everybody so thank all you all right so we're going to wrap up part one 
And uh, Dr. Karen will be back with us for a part two, and we'll talk about her journey to the United States and what happened after that. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Karen. We appreciate you and your words, and we'll see everybody else and hear from everybody else soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I know some of that episode may have been a bit hard to hear, especially if you are not familiar with the atrocities committed by a minority of people. But I thank you for listening and possibly reflecting on how we view and treat people. When you oppress the adults, as Karen said, it has to go somewhere. So the oppression of a country of people had a trickle-down effect on individual families. But Karen found beauty in the lessons she learned. She learned to value doing things to the best of her ability, and she never lost her ability to dream. In part two of this series, you'll hear what happened when she realized her dream. Hold on to your dreams, warriors. Until we meet again, armor up, fight the good fight, seek beauty, and make your words warrior words. <laughs>